Josh Scott's right there for the rebound. He'll get a fresh shot clock for the Buffs. In the post, back out to Callier. Far side, four tall, wide open three-point shot. Good! Already Colorado's hit three three-pointers. Akizili across half court, drives right hand off the glass. Good! Thomas Akizili, you are the number one cop on the force. Puts the ball down with his left hand, spins right hand off the glass. Josh Scott, marvelous move in the post. No look pass to Scott, off the break, in, off the layup. Thomas Akizili dishing and diming on the force right now, serving up a boatload of cases to the other officers, making sure they finish off the job. Stretch pass to Gabe York, who goes up for a jam. Gabe York, levitate, levitate, levitate. Another timeout, Tad Boyle. It's stolen by Akizili. Akizili on a break now. Off the glass, draws a foul, and one. Thomas Akizili trying to bring the Buffs back to life here, showing that he does have some jurisdiction in this district. Good, Cotton Morgan there for the rebound. Morgan, far side, drives, puts it behind his back, goes off the left. Ooh, what a play, George King! Smooth and sleek from the King. Cuts the lead to 10. 64, 54 Arizona leads with 6.07 remaining in this game. Scott drives, left hand, no good off the rim, gets his own rebound, off the glass, scores! Josh Scott and one, cuts it to eight with a chance of getting it to seven with 5.06 remaining in this ball game. Into the front court, King, he needs a three-pointer right away, hoist one up from the near side wing. Good! George King pulls the puck to within two! Welcome into the BSN Buffs Podcast live from the Blake Street Tavern. I am Jake Shapiro along with Ryan Koningsberg, and we just got back from Las Vegas, Nevada. Ryan, how was Las Vegas for you? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. <laughs> um, yeah, no one will understand why I just made that sound unless you were there. That's why it was so great. Uh, yeah, aside from the whole driving thing, which we thought was a really good idea that turned out to be a pretty mediocre idea at best, I think Vegas was a great time. I'd say it wasn't, like, the craziest Vegas time I've ever had, but I don't think I've ever laughed so much as I did with this group. So uh, Tyler Ziskin, Tyler Murray, Will Whalen, uh, our group had a, had a pretty good time. Yeah, meanwhile, going back to the driving thing, no one that flew had a good experience, though. Everyone right, that yeah. right. Oh, Tyler's Except fine. For, yeah, yeah Tyler's but you had, fine. like, Will's flight get canceled. He had to drive back with Nina. Um, Cisneros' bag got lost. Uh, there was some car troubles from someone driving back from the airport. So it, it wasn't exactly top-notch. Except for me. Uh, shout out to Southwest Airlines. Always doing us right. Southwest Airlines, good airline. Not a sponsor of this podcast. Never do that ever again. Well, yeah, and I will say going back to laughing as much as Vegas, uh, hopefully that was because of the addition of Jake Shapiro to the Las Vegas group. But without me, uh, I will say, Tyler Murray, great addition to your group in Las Vegas. Never in my life have I needed or had the information about chicken fingers at every place <laughs> in Las Vegas that I, that, I, that I needed. We go to the pool at Mandalay Bay. Ah, don't get the chicken fingers there. <laughs> Tyler Murray telling me when I could get the chicken fingers in Las Vegas. Actually pretty clutch. Yeah, also don't get them at the Westgate uh, Sportsbook Deli. He didn't like it. <laughs> he did not like the chicken fingers. <laughs> 
right. Westgate kind of did sponsor us, so thanks yeah. to them. Yeah, shout out to the Westgate. Um, um, yeah, so all around, all around a, a good time. Obviously, uh, the Buffs wanted a little more, but uh, and I wrote about this. I think people left. Yes, they did play. That was still a thing. That was still a reason we went to Vegas. I think people left uh, Las Vegas feeling good about the Buffs, and really, that's all you can kind of hope for. Uh, obviously, you'd wish they didn't uh, forget to show up to the first ten minutes against Arizona if you're a Buffs fan, but. Well, you know, to put that pers- performance together in the second half showed a lot of gut, uh, a lot of guts, a lot of grit, and you know, just 58 points against Arizona—you got to feel good about yourself in a half. Yeah, that—that's what I was gonna say. I, I think Buffs fans felt good leaving Las Vegas because they dropped 58 on in a half on Zona. Meanwhile, they absolutely crushed Washington State as they should have. And going into that game, you have to remember. Everyone was thinking, yeah, Washington State, they haven't won a tournament game. You know, the, the Buffs got the 5-12, whatever. This is whatever game. But if they lose that game, tournament hopes are a little bit in jeopardy. You know, there's a potential for them to lose that game because they played Washington State close twice. Uh, so they absolutely went and took care of business against Washington State, and that deserved props. And then they come back a day later, which is never easy. And, you know, terrible first 10 minutes against Zona, but great last half or last 30 minutes. Yeah. Going back to that Washington State game uh, and you talking about, you know, how how they played them close. Before the game, uh, an unnamed member of Press Row asked me my prediction. I said, uh, 72 to 50. Uh, (laughs) 72 to 50. And said person was like whoa did you know that the last two games they they only won by a combined 12 points and one went into double overtime i was like yes i know that happened but i'm just telling you what i think the score is going to be so anyways i was right they were wrong that was a really roundabout way of saying that you're right. Yeah, but at least wrong. I got back to, like, I wasn't trying to pretend right. like that wasn't why I was telling that story. Yeah. yeah, when I do the roundabout, I'm right and you're wrong thing. I go way more roundabout and pretend like it wasn't the reason. <laughs> yeah. Like the Avs not making the playoff story that I always do that I'm doing right now that I'm saying that I was right the one time. You that were I'm right. even going roundabout right now. I was really close to hating you on Twitter after that. <laughs> Before we hear we are. met. Yes. Spending... Going- 22 hour, 22 combined hours in a car together. We've been together for like 50 hours this week. It's been a lot. Yeah. Um, Good thing you're not 21, so I didn't have to hang out with you all night every night in Vegas, or I might not like you anymore. <laughs> oh, I know who that shade was thrown at. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? I, the, I, I, think it, I don't think there was shade there. Oh, well, I thought there was shade. By but the way, shout out to the Pac-12 network. Uh, they've currently showed this UCLA-Oregon State women's replay two times in a row. Dead serious. They're killing them, their network. Oh, and another thing I wanted to bring up before we even really got into the podcast hardcore is what the heck is up with the Pac-12 network not showing games? You know, you, you, they so if Colorado was playing Arizona, they wouldn't show that regional semi. You know, they wouldn't show the, the quarterfinal game in Los Angeles on the regional network, or they wouldn't show it in uh, Oregon, I guess. And that happened for the semifinal day, too. So, I, you know, I was getting all these messages from Colorado fans, how come I can't watch the Arizona-Oregon game, which was a fantastic game? People are streaming this game on their iPads and stuff. Just absolute, it, it's just so stupid. Yeah, it, it makes pretty much no sense to me. Um, uh, it's too far away from sports Twitter for me to, uh, to care enough about it. Like, 
like TV network Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Too far off of sports Twitter for me to care much. So I don't understand why, to be honest. Um, but all I know is, like you said, people are being forced to watch games, live games on the stream instead of, you know, the, the TVs that they work so hard to get and, you know, the, the, the cable that they pay their good money for. Uh, I can tell you that that's not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I heard the real reason. I just, I'm not going to put that out there. But it, it's it's, because, it's political, and it's just, it's stupid. And, you know, it, it's, you know, if you if your own company owns the network that you're showing your own games for, give that to the fans. It's never a bad idea to get more fans in your corner. Um, I, I just, I was so upset about that. And especially because, you know, I go to those semifinal games. I went and sat with our, a couple of our buddies, uh, you know, Matt, who works with us, whatever. And ne- neither of us were really working. Matt was taking pictures, and God bless him, because he actually was working. He was doing fantastic work. He was doing God's work. But uh, I-, I was just kind of hanging out, sitting on Media Row. And those games, I could barely sit down, honestly. Those were fantastic games. I met Adam Butler of Pack Hoops. He was he was uh, up in his seat as well. He was just he was so into the games. Obviously, he was an Arizona ba- fan. But for the second game as well, he was so into it. And... and to, to play in a conference that has two semifinal games like that, it, it was just like, oh, wow, I feel so fortunate that I get to cover this conference. Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 played some some really good basketball this year in a, in a season where college basketball is pretty far down, and, and it's as evidenced by the fact that, you know, there's seven Pac-12 teams in the tournament. Um, so, yeah, I think this was a, it was a great year for the Pac-12. It's probably the year I've watched the most uh, Pac-12 basketball and so the tournament was great um we all knew it was going to be a great tournament heading into the week and i think everything except for the championship game kind of lived up to the bill all right well let's go into the buffs a little bit more the buffs beat washington state 80 to 56 on wednesday george king terrific all tournament terrific in this game another guy coming off the bench that seemed to be uh really into it was tory miller josh scott and west gordon really not got really never got going in this game Josh Fortune just kept chucking, and finally they started hitting. But the big storyline from this game was Brett Brady, Las Vegas Minutes. Yes, that was awesome. But even better than Brett Brady, like, doing what I've been telling everyone he's super capable of doing, which is hitting, like, an off-balance running fadeaway three and making it look so easy. Even better than that was some random guy on Twitter (laughs) (laughs) credits, credits it to Mitch Lombard. And, of course, Mitch Lombard then retweets it, like, being funny, you know. And I tweeted at Mitch, like, ah, oh, sweet three ball, by the way. And anyways, I talked to Mitch yesterday at this election show. He said texts were, like, rolling in for, for <laughs> a couple days after that being, like, yo, congrats on your three in the tournament. And then the best, even better, the next day I'm, <laughs> I'm walking to my seat on press row and I walk by Mitch Lombard who's like on the court stretching and he just he makes eye contact with me and just throws up two threes <laughs> yeah Mitch got Lombard he, he's your new fan favorite next year I promise you yeah Mitch is gonna be a key member of the Larry Bird squad next year he is he is a treat uh other story from this game I think was that uh Washington State had had two different guys go off against the Buffs you could really say three they had Connor Clifford go off one game Ike Arebu go off one game and Josh Hawkinson go off another game no one got going in this game against the Buffs very good defense too it was it was encouraging I think uh to see them find like it it seemed like they were finally like okay 
it's a postseason. Like, let's actually do the stuff we're supposed to do against a bad team now. Um, and it was really a 40-minute 40, 40 performance. <laughs> Tad, after the game, was mad about, like, a couple of open threes they gave up with two minutes left. But it, in reality, it was really a 40-minute performance for them. All right. Well, that led us into the next night and overnight in Vegas. Uh, and that was a nice night Wednesday night in Vegas. Uh, I think it was a nice night for the Buffs. But Thursday? Don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was about 50-50 of people who remember. No, that was a terrible night because I was sick. Oh, yeah. Me and you just <laughs> slept that night. Um, yeah, yeah, that was scary because at that, at that moment, like during the game and before the game, I was super sick. And, and we, I really we, thought that, like, that was going to be my Vegas trip was me sleeping in the room. But I made the executive decision to, to try and get healthy that night, and it paid off. Yeah, and that was the, the day we were coming off of, like, an 11-hour drive. Like, my call of the game is just atrocious because I was just, like, too tired to talk. I was just like, King glasses the ball. <laughs> like, that was my call. But, yeah, then we go into Thursday, Arizona Wildcats, 82, Colorado Buffalo, 78. Uh, Arizona uh, was ranked 15th in the country. I, I think uh, had a very disappointing year. They were a very beatable team. I really thought Colorado was going to go 2-0 and against Arizona. And they were so close. They were, you know, it was ended up being a four-point spread. But if they hit one three in the first half, they go 0 for their first nine threes, I think they win that game. They hit one three. Yeah, I mean, they just, I just think they just needed to show up. And, it, and to me, it was really shocking because, um, and I don't know what, what caused it, but based on what I saw, it looked like after all the experience they've had playing Arizona, they were still shocked by the atmosphere. Um, it, it, I mean, it's hostile. It, like I tweeted, uh, MGM Grand in Vegas during an Arizona game is the second most hostile atmosphere in the Pac-12 to the McHale Center. Uh, and I really believe that. So it just seemed like they weren't ready for it. And, you know, obviously you start a little cold and you let them go on a 6-0 run and all of a sudden those fans are there and they are loud. I mean, really loud. So to me, it just felt like they got, that got the best of them um, and once they finally settled in, you know, it ended up being too little too late. Yeah, you know what? I think a really bad news thing for the Buffs is actually they're moving to that 18,000-seat arena next year. God knows how many Amer- Arizona fans are going to be there next year. Could you imagine? There's probably going to be 13,000 Arizona fans there next year. It could be. Um, you know, you look at it from the perspective of, like, when Kansas fans used to love to come to the Coors Event Center because they, they mm-hmm. only had a, you know, seven-hour drive and it was cheaper to get tickets there it's almost like you you get that feeling from Arizona fans it's like well why not go to Las Vegas and get tickets there because it's cheaper than getting into a ticket at the McHale Center and easier to get a ticket at the McHale Center so something tells me it's not going to be I actually think it's going to be less of an atmosphere um, because they're not going to get 18,000 people in there and you know they do get 10,000 people or whatever it is in MGM Grand so uh I don't know. I really like the MGM Grand Garden Arena, and I think this new place is probably going to be incredible. But I think they're probably going to lose a bit of the atmosphere. Yeah, I will say, uh, before we go back to the Arizona game, it's weird because, you know, the MGM, there's no luxury seating. So I literally ran into Rick George like four times uh, during the tournament, Steve Peasy, associate athletic director or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting because you're rubbing elbows with all these, like, guys that should not. Gary Payton. Right. Uh, AC Green. Green, like you're rubbing elbows with guys that definitely should not be sitting, like just in the stands. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Rick George at games, that man is a hoot. I mean, like 
maybe a BSN Buffs feature next year is just going to be called the Rick George Cam, where we just set up a camera aimed at him for the entire game and then make highlights afterwards because, holy, I mean, he is the, like, you've seen Tyler Ziskin, like, get a little wild, like, sitting courtside. Rick George is, like, Tyler Ziskin times 100. And I mean, he's the he athletic the, director. <laughs> he is up there, like, a couple times, like, you see, like, someone tap him on the shoulder, like, yo, Rick, you got to chill a little bit because he goes off on referees and, you know, he's up there jumping up and down. And of course, from a CU fan perspective, that's got to be amazing right. to, see a Rick, to see Rick George, your athletic director, have that much passion and that much support for the team. And we've sat for, in front of him for a women's game where, like, there's no atmosphere. And it's like, it's like and, you know, the team is going to lose for sure. You know, it's just – and Rick is still so into it, and he's getting the refs on on every call. I mean, that's terrific. Uh We'll, we'll probably talk more about the stadium, uh, not probably not even on this podcast, but later, maybe, you know, later down the road. But uh, that was an interesting move. It's good to see that it's still staying in Las Vegas, though, because I think we can all unequivocally agree that Las Vegas is the best place for this tournament. And even on the car ride home, uh, I think from sa- Saturday when we were at the pool, we were talking about how Vegas is just such a great place to put a sports team for visitors to come to because it's such a centralized location, uh, especially in in the south or the west. Yeah, I was saying I hope that um, that stadium gets NCAA tournament games uh, in the future because, I mean, for NCAA tournament, which has attendance issues, I promise you any, uh, they'll get people in that Vegas tournament. Yep, Vegas was a treat, and uh, I think Tad Boyle might have coached his best game there, at least this season. That Arizona game, he coached terrifically. And I'm not even saying, oh, he called his timeouts in the first half on the run. Whatever. You know, who cares? But the way he coached in that second half, uh, I was really recognizing what plays he was calling. And, you know, I went back to practice and what I saw practice. And, you know, I recognized some of the plays and stuff. But the amount of adjustments he made going into that second half and the amount of adjustments he kept making in the second half to make sure the buffs would keep improving, uh, I, I was just like, this is a coach that I would want coaching my team. Yeah, um, I always say this, and I know you didn't get to sit down there, but the Pac-12 tournament is one of my favorite times be- for one big reason being where we sit is right next to the bench, um, which we don't get at the Coors Event Center, and I really get to see Tad go to work during a game. Of course, you know, when we're at the Coors Event Center, I kind of only go over there when he's doing something demonstrative and he, and he kind of catches the corner of your eye. Well, where I'm sitting, Tad Boyle is the first, the forefront of everything I'm looking at. So every, every move he's making, uh, every little thing he's saying to a player as they come to the bench, um, you see all of that. And I always leave Vegas thinking what you just said, which is Tad Boyle is a, is a, a coach that, you know, CU fans should be extremely happy with, which I always say that. But it's almost validated when you really see him, you know, do his thing during a game because you hear – you know, people want to say he's not a great game day coach, and, uh, you know, that's to be seen. I guess I, I, I don't necessarily agree nor disagree with that. I think he has his downfalls during games. But you, when you watch that, um, you know that there's stuff that happens during the game. You know, it, it shows you that he doesn't just tell him to, to throw him out, go play basketball and, you know, do what you learned in practice. He ties up the gym shoes and goes, hey, get out there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, a couple other takeaways, I think, from this Arizona game. Obviously, George King had another great game. Josh Scott somewhat rebounded and had a solid game. Uh, Thomas Akizili looked good all tournament, I thought. Josh Fortune hooked up a bunch of shots again, and they started falling in the second half. Uh, Arizona-wise, Alonzo Trier looked fantastic. Uh, Ryan Anderson had a solid game. Gabe York uh, did what Gabe York does and was hot and cold and hot and cold. Uh, 
what are your thoughts on the game quickly? Uh, any more takeaways? Uh, I, I know it's hard to take away from a conference tournament, especially when you had one day to pre- not even a day to prepare, uh, and you're playing Arizona. I know they're not as good this year, but they're still Arizona. And uh, what other takeaways did you have there? Um, you talked about Thomas Akizili. I really, really liked the way he played in that game. Um, he didn't really. He had one of his worst games, I believe, the first time around against Arizona. He didn't really uh, impact that game at all. Um, and he came into that game, uh, and, and you know, I'm I'm forever impressed on with him when he handles these big situations like a pro. And then you for, you remember that he's been in these situations. You know, he's been in Euro Championships and in those type of le- high level games. I mean, he's played in professional. You know, I'm putting quotes because it's it's in. Belgium, but he's played in professional games against men, uh, and, and it comes out in a game like that. You see that he he's ready for those stages, and he is composed in those stages. And I, and I think it was really he hit a three in that game, which I thought was huge because it had taken him a while. Uh, and he you, you see him scream at the bench, finally, you know it, it, that was something that was bothering him. But the way he gets to the rim in transition um, is going to be a, a joy to watch for the next four years, and, and he's only going to get better. He had one of the best passes in that game. Really sick bounce pass. But you just talked about him getting to the rim. Today in practice, you had your head down, and I, I motioned you right away. I'm like, did you just see that? It was one of those moments in practice, and he just put the ball under his arm, hop-stepped, went through two two guys. I think it was Josh and Tori, and went uh, around his uh, torso and threw a pass to the weak side for an easy layup to one of the walk-ons. And I was just like, whoa, that was that just cut through the lane like a knife. I, I was so impressed with that, and, I, and you talk about him handling games very well. I was talking to him Sunday, and I'm, uh, we were talking about Oregon a little bit, and I'm like, yeah, you played really well that game. He's like, yeah, I played really well. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, and, and people forget that that was a big stage game. And, you know, we, Buffs fans and Buffs media just seem to block out the fact that they beat Oregon. Uh, but that was a big game. Tommy played really well in that game, and I think that's going to give them some confidence realizing that they beat Oregon going into this tournament, potentially that knowing that they're going to face a one seed in the second round. Right. I'm, I've been saying this. I don't, I'm not even sure if I've said this on the record. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. But I've been telling people all year that I really think the Buffs could beat anyone in the country. It was that kind of year in college basketball. Um, and I, I, When I was saying that, it was more of an indictment on the field of teams in college basketball. But, it, I mean, also the way that the Buffs play and their style and their personnel. Um, and, you know, I was saying that with confidence, but to see Oregon State get a one seed, in my mind, completely validates that comment. They did beat a one seed, which is considered one of the best four teams in the country. Um, to me, that means, you know, they, can, they are capable of beating any of the other one seeds. And one of the great lines I always go back to, some analysis always says this, the three-point shot is the great equalizer. Well, the Buffs are an amazing three-point shooting team. We just talked about Coach Tad Boyle. On the other side of the next break, let's talk about, uh, or maybe in two breaks from now, we're gonna, we'll decide. We'll talk about the other head coach on the Colorado staff. Rodney Billups gets named to Denver. He's the head coach over at Denver. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, uh, how the players' perception of that was. We're going to talk to Wes Gordon about it, even. And uh, that was a pretty solid interview. So right when we come back from this break, we'll have Tyler Ziskin more on a, on in a more uh, increased role. He was on for like one sentence in the last one, uh, last second. So we'll be right back. Uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, see you next time.
Hi, this is Justin Gold from Justin's. If you've had my nut butter or my peanut butter cups, then you know that I take my products and my customers very seriously. So when I needed my roof replaced, I wanted somebody who feels the same way about their customers and their products that I do. Luckily for me, I found exactly that when I went to Chip Ezzo from Chip's Roofing, and he provided me with a service that I'll never forget. Not only did they build me a beautiful high-wind roof with the best products available, but the quality, price, and service was exceptional. I was in contact with Chip the entire time, and him and his crew couldn't have been more professional. Chip's Roofing has my business for life. Chip's Roofing, Colorado's high-wind roofing experts for 30 years. You can find us online at chipsroofingllc.com. That's chipsroofingllc.com. Or call us now at 720-938-ROOF. That's 720-938-ROOF. Once again, 720-938-ROOF. Hi, I'm Erica Chenard, and I've been helping Colorado homeowners buy and sell for 14 years. From the biggest names in Colorado to first-time buyers, I treat each and every one like an MVP. I've sold over 170 homes in the last 12 months, and I can help you sell your current one or buy your next one. Call me, Erica Chenard, at 720-663-1003 or online at denvercohomes.com. Of course you want to be in better shape, and of course you want to change the way you eat, but it's easier said than done. Hi, I'm Adam Kinney, and like you, I've tried a million different things to accomplish this before I found the solution. Now, I go to Ironclad Fitness off of Evans. The days of long, boring cardio sessions are over. My kettlebell training at Ironclad is fast, innovative, and it really works. At this rate, I'll never step on a treadmill again. Let Ironclad Fitness change your life like they're changing mine. Ironclad Fitness. Hey, Josh, what happened to Colorado Keg House? I was just there yesterday, Adam. It's the same great place with 72 Colorado craft beers on tap. Really? I heard they had up to 60 breweries in there. I figured they must have moved into a huge building or something. That means they have up to 60 different breweries on tap, dude. Do you think they actually crammed 60 breweries in there? Oh, so they still have 27 TVs? Yeah. And NFL Sunday ticket? Yep. Cool. Still awesome. Colorado Keg House, Colorado's home for craft beer by the First Bank Center in Broomfield. Welcome back into the BSN Buffs podcast live from the Blake Street Tavern. Uh, if you're traveling downtown from the Lincoln Light Rail Station, you got to stop by the Clock Tower Grill first uh, and get your pregame on. That is, of course, unless you are downtown and you're already at the Blake Street Tavern, we already know how great the Blake Street Tavern is. But if you're down south, you got to get over there. Uh, $3 Long Islands on Mondays, 75 cent wings on Wednesdays, $3 shots on Fridays. There's no better place down south to start up your party than at the Clock Tower Grill. You know, talking about the co- Clock Tower Grill, Tyler Murray actually says he lives down there, and he said the chicken fingers down there were, eh. <laughs> That's a lie. That is a lie. <laughs> I think the chicken fingers there are quite good. Uh, anyways, we are here with Tyler Ziskin, who just told me, quote, you make me happy, and not a lot of people can do that, so you'll be proud. And I am quite proud of that. And I know what makes Tyler Ziskin happy, which is the new name of this segment, On the Bracket, because the Buffaloes are in the NCAA tournament. Tyler, how are you? I think really you just make me happy because um, every time that we have something to do together, it's buffs related, to be completely honest. I'm just kidding. You're the man. This is an emotional moment on the BSN podcast. <laughs> I, I was just trying to think of things we've done 
that didn't involve the buffs. One time I came over and we watched that movie about those emotions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the name of that movie? It was pretty good. Uh, gosh, I can't remember. It's the yeah, one where like each emotion yeah. was a different character and it was they a get cartoon. Lost in her head and yeah. Inside no, Out, right? Inside, inside out. out. Yeah, Inside yeah. Out. Yeah. Chap just chimed dwarves. in with Seven Dwarves, <laughs> which isn't even a movie. It probably is somewhere along the way, but that was some funny. like dark, like dark remake of yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, that's Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, that's nice. the dark remake. Uh, anyways, so the Buffs, uh, an eight seed in Des Moines, taking on the Yukon Huskies, um, right about exactly where Mr. Tyler Ziskin had them. Yeah, I mean, I. Um I put out the projections right before um, 3.30 when they started doing all that stuff. I actually, so I had CU as the number one eight seed, and I had UConn as the number one nine seed. So I wasn't really surprised um, to see us matched up against them. I, I thought that we had a chance to be maybe with Gonzaga as well um, because the, the other two nines in my projections were both Pac-12 schools, and obviously it's, you can't have that matchup in the, in the first round. They don't allow you to play against teams in your conference and or teams you played against in the non-conference portion of your schedule unless absolutely unavoidable, which pretty much never happens. So those are the two that I, looking at what I thought was going to happen, those are the two I saw the most likely. Having it actually happen, though, uh, is pretty rare um, and pretty much just basic luck, to be honest. <laughs> so, um, But that worked out nicely for me. Um, the matchup, uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about that later, but it's intriguing to me, and I, a lot of people are like, oh, well, that sucks. We have no chance, and I don't agree with that at all. Um, I think it sucks the most for Josh, though, because Amita Brima is a l- really long shot blocker, and Josh tends to struggle with length, length on occasion. So um, I think the matchup for him, they're probably going to try to pull him out of the paint a little bit more and make Brima try to guard him off the dribble. I think uh, when that matchup came out, I think it was just a lot of shock because you see you see Kansas come up, and then all of a sudden it's UConn, and it's, or I guess it was, then it was the Buffs, then it was UConn, it was like, whoa, like Kansas and UConn, like what happened? And, and you know, obviously UConn um, as storied of a program as they come. So I think a lot of people were shocked. I mean, I even felt a little bit of shock inside Tad Boyle's house. It's just like, oh, yeah, like this is the NCAA tournament. It's big boy basketball now. Um, and they'll be ready. And, you know, Tad Boyle actually gave a double fist pump when they announced UConn. Not when the buffs came up, when they announced UConn, which I found to be interesting. Um, but I think it was just like he knew the cameras were on him. He's like, I better, re- I better have some sort of reaction right now. Yeah, I think it's also just because you figure out really quick how important these games are. You know, like that's an opportunity to really sell the program to a lot of people on the national level. Playing a team like UConn in the first round, you find a way to win that game, and people are talking about Colorado all over the country. And obviously, playing against Kansas is. They're the number one seed in the tournament. Yeah, it's not a game that you immediately are like, oh, wow, you have a chance in that game. But, I mean, the storyline behind it, obviously, with Tad playing there, um, I think is really cool. And, honestly, I, I do think that a lot of Kansas fans in that arena are going to be rooting for us in that first-round game, which may or may not help. I think. I mean, I think that's going to be a big, a big storyline of that first game. Kansas fans are going to find a way to get a ton of tickets to that session, and they're going to be in there. And when I was in... Arizona, or when I was sorry, when I was in Kansas for that matchup, when the Buffs went to Fog Allen, man, everywhere you went, uh, you know, if you're with people in Colorado gear, a Kansas fan came up to him and said, "Oh man, we're so proud of Tad. We love Tad. You know, uh, we, we're so happy what he's doing with Colorado. We're so happy. You know, they're relevant." 
And I really think those those Kansas fans are going to go balls to the wall for Colorado in that first game. And then, of course, when they win, it's going to take a very different tune very quickly. But I think it's going to be a really cool thing to see uh, as Kansas fans pack the arena and cheer on Tad Boyle. I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah, it actually reminds me a lot of the first time we made the NCAA tournament under Tad with when we went to um, Albuquerque and played UNLV. And as you know, New Mexico, not the biggest fans of UNLV as a program. So there were a lot of New Mexico fans in that stadium cheering for us. And so it was kind of, there was a huge crowd of CU people there, but also a lot of New Mexico fans as well. And the crowd was going nuts for that game. And, like, I remember people on Twitter commenting about it, like, holy crap, like, how many people are at this game right now? This place is going nuts. So, I, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, given who else is in, uh, in Des Moines for the tournament that week. But I think if you can get any semblance of, you know, a crowd support over UConn, that would be huge for us as well. Right. Uh, looking at a broader look here while we have you, um, seven, seven Pac-12 teams make the tournament. How did you feel about that? That was the number that we've kind of been keying on ever since Oregon State really solidified themselves into the field. Um, Washington, I think, is a super talented team that could beat some NCAA tournament teams the way they played down the stretch of the season. But uh, their non-conference really hurt them, and they, they really weren't even considered, um, in my opinion, e even for me. So, um, yeah, those, those seven are huge. I know a lot of people were upset about Oregon State being seated higher than us, which I understand because, I mean, I had, I had Oregon State below us as well. Um, I had Oregon State below us as well. But it is a small gap. I mean, they had they had a few bigger wins than us, especially in the non-conference portion of the schedule, and they played one of the toughest schedules in the entire country. Which you know, when when it gets down to it, the committee loves that. I mean, you see time and time again, people who have great non-conference schedules and overall strength of schedule gets overseeded into the tournament all the time, and they're pretty good. I mean, they're two seeds above us on the seed line uh, in this in this type of tournament. The, the space between these teams, from like the five seed to the seven seed to the nine seed, was so minimal. I could, I mean, it's, I had them lower, but one seed line, and I could, you could make an argument to me that I would understand where they're seated that high. So to me, the outrage over Oregon State being a seven was a little bit ridiculous. But yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> what I told someone who asked me is I just said it's not an exact science once they actually get in there and start putting, yeah. uh, putting people in certain places. You know, there's a chance that uh, the committee thought. Colorado was better than Oregon State, but the way they built the bracket, they had to make it so Oregon State was in a certain place. And one seed line uh, doesn't make that much of a difference. Yeah, I think what people – I hear people comment and complain about this all the time when it's like, oh, it's just a moving target because they look at different things every year. And it's like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, they can't compare all these teams to each other directly. You, you find three or four – and work them out and, f and find out which part of their resume separates them from the other guys in the group, right? So some teams are going to be grouped together that have very similar RPI top 50 wins or a very similar strength of schedule profile, you know what I mean? So for us, it's because of that, where we sit in that seed line right there, Oregon State had more top 50 wins, so maybe that's what they saw as a separator between us and a few other teams in the field. There, it is a moving target. There's 68 teams that you have to weed your way through and there's a lot of metrics involved with determining which of those teams are better so sometimes one stands out more than the other when you're comparing a few teams against each other i i totally agree um we were looking before this at the lines uh so a couple prop bets they had the pac-12 uh combined wins in the entire tournament 
seven teams at seven and a half games. Uh, you want the over or under on that? I'm taking the over. A quick look at the bracket. I haven't, I, I have not filled mine out yet. I usually wait until the last minute and really Either. try to get yep. all my research in. But um, to me, I saw a minimum of eight wins. Um, so to me, it's the over. We definitely got seeded with some tough matchups in a few particular spots. Um, and there are a few teams that are not used to the NCAA tournament experience as well. And I think there, there, there are just so many people that just don't have a lot of respect for the Pac-12 in general. I mean, I was, I'm going to throw this out there today. I was watching um, PTI this morning, and Tony Kornheiser literally was like, the three best conferences in America are the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12. And, I, and immediately following that, Michael Wilbon said he had Cal losing to Hawaii in the first round and Utah losing to Fresno State and Oregon going out in round two. Like, within one minute of each other, both of those statements were, made, were said, and I was just like, wow, dude. That is unbelievable. If you've watched any of those teams, like Fresno State's beating Utah, good luck with that. Not a, I mean, I don't know what the, li- what the line is on that, but Utah is going to give Fresno State the a, work. A, the, yeah, like the they work. are going to put them in pain. Yeah. Um, there's just so little. I mean, everywhere wants to say that what, East Coast bias isn't a thing, and it's just. It, oh, it's a it thing. is. It really like that. These people don't watch, and that's. Yeah. It's not that they purposely don't like the West Coast teams, as they don't watch. The Buffs are playing 9:30 games on mm-hmm. the Pac-12 network. No one sees that. Yeah, that semifinal game, the last semifinal, Cal versus Utah in uh, the Pac-12 tournament, ended at 12 Vegas time or right before, so a lot of 11.30 because of the first overtime game backed into their time slot. So that game ends about 2 o'clock on the East Coast, so no one's watching that. Yeah, and I don't understand why they continue to do that. They do that in football, too. They put all these games on super late, and it's like, man, if you want the exposure necessary to impress the entire country, you can't be playing games at midnight. That's insane. I mean, playing a game at 9 o'clock is insane, and we were there. Imagine what it's right. like, you know what I mean, like playing at midnight. So that's just crazy to me. But, yeah, yeah I mean, they it, the – I understand it because a lot of these guys can't watch these teams play. Take it from me, who does all this bracket stuff and watches way too much basketball. There are some teams in the Pac-12 that would absolutely demolish some of these schools in the American that were getting considered to go to the tournament and things like that. So, I mean, what you never know how the tournament's going to go. It's a one-on-one game and a lot of things happen. But the Pac-12 is a much better conference than it's given credit for nationally, 100%. Yeah, it, it, as – and I use this term, I guess, lightly, but, like, as I consider myself a college basketball guy. You know, I love college basketball. Yeah. Coming this time of year has got to be the worst time because you've got, like, from this perspective, because you've got everyone talking about college basketball and, like, 5% of the people talking about it are actually qualified and, like, watched more than 10 games. You know, these guys watched Kentucky-Kansas at the beginning of the year, and, you know, they maybe, like, if they like Utah, they might have seen Utah beat Duke, and they were just like, oh, Utah's legit, and they never watched another. So it's like... It's just a it's a rough time to see basketball like the buffs the all the buffs are going crazy in Tad Boyle's house yesterday as Charles Barkley picks them to beat yeah. UConn. Charles Barkley has never seen the buffs play this year. <laughs> I can guarantee that. Yeah, no, that's kind of funny. I mean, and another, the other big story on ESPN today was John Calipari freaking out about being seated below Texas A and M and him being like, "Do we not just play a game today?" 
It's like, yeah, you played one game. You also played another game earlier in the year where Texas A&M beat you, and oh, by the way, they won the league, and you didn't. So let's continue. to. They're 6-1 and one against the RPI Top 50. How did you guys do? It's like, give me a break, man. Kentucky is not better than Texas A&M. At least their resume's not. There's no way they should be seeded higher. And the fact that someone just heard Calipari yell about it and was like, oh, yeah, he's right, totally. It's like, did you even look at anything? No, you did not. When you look at the way the bracket falls out, obviously we have no idea what the exact kind of metric or whatever they use. Mm -hmm. When you look at that, is, can you key in on anything where you're like, oh, this was kind of, they heavily favored this this year or anything like oh, that? Overall, the entire bracket? Not really. Um, what I will say, though, is time and time again, we talked about this a lot on the, on the bubble segment earlier in the year, though. People got too low on a few teams because of early conference round exits. Wisconsin was a big one for me, and I actually fell for this in my projections, too. I had them as a nine because they lost to Nebraska in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Their sixth RPI 100 loss, seven seed. Right. Completely irrelevant to how they changed. Tulsa, a team that no one thought was getting into the tournament because they lost to Memphis twice in a week, lost to Memphis in the first round of their conference tournament. Obviously, again, did not have any, any impact whatsoever. So we continue to see this type of stuff happen all the time. Um, in terms of that constantly not being as big of a deal as we expect it to be. Um, I think because, honestly, the committee at that point is tired of doing this <laughs> and, has, and has the bracket, and I'm serious, has the bracket mostly filled out and they adjust the seeds one way or another occasionally, right? So they have most of the teams they want in already figured out. Um, they're but, sitting there, they, like, hate the conference tournament because some yeah. team's going to win and yeah, steal a bid, bad. and they're like, they're, yeah. we have to do something yeah, now. exactly. No, I agree. I think that does happen to some degree for sure. Um, but I will say, the one that I always see that wins out amongst the last three or four teams in is what did you do in your non-conference schedule? So, obviously, people are going to yell at me and say, well, look at Monmouth. It's like, yeah, but... The Monmouth one is the one that hurts me the most. I had St. Bonaventure's in as well, actually higher seeded, but I can understand why they got left out. Monmouth, I think, did everything they were asked to do. The problem, of course, is they lost to three teams with sub-200 RPIs. No team has ever been let in in an at-large berth for that. So, I mean, that's, that's the type of thing that you see. But all these other teams played great schedules. Tulsa had big wins. Um, Syracuse had big wins. Michigan had big wins. Like those, once they're comparing those last few teams and they see a team like St. Bonaventure up there who didn't beat anybody in the non-conference, or St. Mary's who really didn't beat anybody in the non-conference, or San Diego State who didn't beat anybody as well, you see them not even really considered because they didn't do anything in the non So the, one, those last four slots are almost always determined by how difficult of a schedule did you play. We, we already think you're close, but did you play great teams? I think that's the one that I always see that ends up being the last three or four teams in. Finally, uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but uh, where do you stand on this matchup with UConn? Um, well, UConn's going to be favored, and I think that's probably fair. Um, the, the one thing that I do feel good about, though, is that we're going to rebound the ball better than they are, which always keeps us in games. I mean, you see us struggle sometimes with teams like Arizona, who also is very good at rebounding the basketball. Those are the teams that we have a little more trouble with at times. Utah, the same thing. Um, they... I'd have to do a little more research on their guards, to be honest. Um, I haven't seen UConn play enough to really be super ready for it yet, I don't think. But it's a team It's a team that we can beat. I mean, outside of making a 75-footer to advance in their conference tournament, they really weren't all that impressive down the stretch of the season. 
the American's not a great league. They also won that conference tournament without SMU playing in it, which helps as well, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, they're, they're, I think their name is kind of causing people to be a little more scared of what's going on with them right now. They, they're they a good team that's capable of beating good teams, but they've also lost a few games that they shouldn't this year. I think it'll be a fun game, probably slow pace, low-scoring, defensive type of pace. Uh, they really packed the paint. They really packed the paint really well, so we're going to have to be able to make threes. Um, and in an arena environment, sometimes that's difficult. But I, I love the overall. I mean, I think it's a matchup that is, is exactly what an 8-9 should be. It's going to be, you know, a lot of people, we have to do one thing right to win. They have to do one thing right to win, and I think it'll be a good game. This was Ryan's question, but I think he forgot to ask it. And <laughs> Ranking uh, this matchup from the scale of 1 to 10 oh, yeah. uh, of where it would be, 1 being the worst possible 8-9 matchup being yeah. Pittsburgh a few years ago in Orlando, yeah. uh, 10 being, you know, they got a cupcake. Where would you put this? Um, as an 8-9, it, it's kind of right on that middle line. I, I would say like a 4 or a 5. It's what you would expect from an 8-9. You're playing a team who's as good as you, and that's scary, right? In the first round of a tournament, you expect to be able to win. I think everyone's like, oh, we're not playing Washington State in the first round? Like, yeah, right. Like, what happened? That's not <laughs> how this works? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, from that perspective, it's pretty solid. I mean, you see a lot of the projections have UConn as the favorite, and we're the 8 seed, so I think people are like, oh, we got screwed. I don't know. I mean, look, looking at the other – nine seeds in the tournament it's providence it's butler um cincinnati i think is the other one cincinnati i really don't like as a matchup yeah, for us so yeah. i'm glad to have avoided that one um to me providence they have elite players yeah see that's but they're not that good like watching them play i don't really like them so that would have been an interesting one for me because but it, the problem is that their elite player is at a position we struggle at that's what i was gonna so, say so it's chris i'd I thought about that, and actually Jack Boyle yeah. asked me about this yesterday when we were uh, after we were watching. He's like, "Would you have rather had Providence yeah. if you were, you know, from a Buffs perspective?" I said, "Yeah." Chris Dunn scares the living crap yeah, out of and me. I, I actually mean, he had, really could live on the perimeter. Yeah, against I team. had Cincinnati as an eight in my projections. I had Butler as a nine. I had UConn as a nine. I had Providence as a seven. So that's the one that's the most talented out of the out of those groups for in my eyes to me i would if you ask me i want butler out of the four but none of them are easy matchups by any stretch of the imagination and just for fun we looked at the 10 seats too to see if oh we had gotten a seven and i mean off the top of my head vcu is an absolutely terrible matchup for us uh we would have had 30 turnovers in that game uh it would have been awful to watch um we would have had to make a lot of threes and Syracuse, too, is another matchup zone. They're really good in the zone, and that's caused us a lot of problems in the past as well. Um, the other 10s are a little bit better for us. But, I mean, what, what people forget is that all of these teams are really good. There's 350 teams in Division One, and they put in 68. And when you're on the eight line, you're all playing guys who had 22, 23 wins. You're not, you're not guaranteeing yourself a favorable matchup until you get up into maybe a five seed oh yeah i mean there's a lot of 11 seeds that we would not be favored against this year right so i mean yeah i think that is a hard thing to for people to understand is uh you, you know i think everyone got scared after that pit pit thing and started thinking matchups 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 mm -hmm. we need a favorable matchup and it's like okay well you're not going to get a favorable matchup you just hope to not get a absolutely god-awful matchup like yeah. pit uh before we let you go tyler you got you got you didn't really got to get in a join in on the Vegas segment here. Any uh, memories you want to share? It was definitely one of the more chill Vegas experiences of my life. However, you may recall I was there for eight days. So yes, uh, 
given my actually you're the driver yeah so you being a little down a little bit i think might have chilled out the whole group i i I definitely ruined a few things the last day (laughs) you guys are glad you didn't have to hang out with me because i was a disaster we did hang out with you no no not you i mean the the listeners are are glad that they got to avoid that experience so but what i love um, about tyler ziskin is he can be having the day from hell and like he doesn't like whine about it or make anyone else like struggle about it he just you know disappears every 15 <laughs> minutes and comes back and then you know he has a good conversation with a smile on his yeah, face yeah i try i'd try but yeah dude it was i was it finally caught up to me and i was like <laughs> i gotta get it i gotta get all this vegas out of my body tyler was so ready to leave vegas that he was gonna get in the car with us and get home after he would have gotten <laughs> home just to be in a city that wasn't called Las Vegas anymore. Yeah, that's really true. In fact, I'm pretty sure that was an exact quote at one point. <laughs> but, yeah, it was – I mean, it's a lot of fun, you know. I will say, though, looking back on it, we didn't do a lot of the things that I love to do there, which we're going to have to correct that next time because that's not really my game. Like, right. I didn't go to the pool, though, because I was sick that whole day. Yeah. Um, didn't do a buffet, which is mandatory for me. Okay. Um, didn't really walk around the strip at all. Uh, did very little gambling. Like, it was just kind of, we, we drank a lot, which, you know, that happens. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even watch as much basketball as normal, so I don't know how I did nothing for <laughs> yeah, eight days. Yeah, what did but, exactly we do? So I don't know how, to, how I, that really happened, but. Yeah, I, th- I thought. We did a lot of sports gambling. I did, at least. So, you know, that's. I think, you know, obviously, we, we had a great dinner on whatever night that was. Thursday night? This, oh, yeah, Thursday night, yeah. Um, yeah, sushi. That was awesome. Yeah, and the one time we walked around the strip, we almost killed Tyler Murray. Other Murray, yeah, <laughs> other Tyler. Yeah, there's some good good pictures of that that I'm gonna probably use for his bachelor party slash wedding. We wandered photo around that weird thing in the Bellagio. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I, o- that was o- crazy. Only known because it was documented. I don't even know how we got in. Like we took a weird route <laughs> to get where we were going that day. We didn't see. We I feel like we saw one person on that walk for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Anyways, all right. It was fun. Okay, actually, I wanted to throw this out there. Sorry, I know that I was supposed to be done now. But <laughs> I, w- I was talking about the type of people that were in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament that were Colorado fans. Like, there's a lot of older people. And all you people who are my age or Ryan's age, dude, man, you're missing out. you got to make this trip happen. It's so much fun. There's so much to do. But like, you have to assume if you're our age, you're getting to Vegas once a year, right? Yeah, I, I would like to. Apparently, these people aren't because they really need to be. So I'm, I would just throw it out there that if you haven't made this trip happen yet, you convince your boys to do it, even if you're not a basketball fan. Like, this this team is really so much fun to watch, and the tournament is a really cool vibe, man. You're walking around MGM, obviously, to be at a new location next year, so we'll see if that changes with a lot of other fan bases. But it's you think it'd be like be contentious. It's not. Like, all these people are just having a great time with you. And I just love it, man. It's definitely my favorite trip, and I look forward to it every year. So, for me, I would just really recommend that you guys come out and make this trip happen. I think we only had one weird fan experience the entire time we were in Vegas, and it was the last day where the Utah Utah fan comes up to us in the pool and he goes, huh. Uh, and we were around the Colorado fans. He goes, huh, I've never seen any Colorado fans before. And Ryan goes, I've never seen anyone wear Under Armour in public before. <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't too thrilled about that, but it shut him up really quickly. Like, he just, he kind of just turned around and walked away. So. But that was a weird comment. Like, CU fans I mean, yeah, are like, the obviously, third he wasn't at our game. Fan yeah. base yeah. every year there. So, I mean, outside uh, of um, last year, it got a little bit bigger for a few other teams. But 
Uh, and obviously we weren't that good last year, so that hurt our attendance. But the two years previously in Vegas and in Los Angeles, we easily had the second most people there besides Arizona. So that's, that is a weird comment that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, but I agree with Tyler. I mean, if you're our, if you're our age or, you know, uh, really anyone, you, you're missing out not going to this tournament. I mean, some people I know you're thinking like, oh, the Buffs have no chance of winning it or whatever you want. It, that has nothing to I mean. Right, it's it's just the fact that you know you're. First of all, it gives you an excuse to give that to go there, gives you an excuse to tell your girlfriend that it's a boys' trip because there's sports involved. With no offense to any women who love sports, that's just a good excuse for the boys. Uh, it's a it's a culmination of all of the, all the Pac-12 schools, which is really cool. And like you said, everyone's pretty respectful. It's just a cool all-around trip. So next year, hopefully, we see you there. Um, before we get out of this segment, do you yeah. have something to say, Jake? No, get the hell out of this segment. Okay, we're going <laughs> to... We've done two half-hour segments. Let's go. Before we get out of here, make sure you uh, you get down to Blake Street this week. Um, maybe not a better week at Blake Street than the first couple days of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, hold watch- on, Tyler. Tell us what you were just doing, because that actually was really cool. What was I just doing? Planning the TVs. Yeah. Oh, with the TVs. Yeah, okay. So this is actually an, an entirely difficult process that I'm pretty sure no one thinks of. So actually, let me throw this out there to you. Please don't complain to someone if they don't change a TV for you because it's a ridiculous experience. But anyway, so here we have 60 TVs, right? So how it works is we have to map out every single game to make sure that we have every game on somewhere in the restaurant at all times, but not just somewhere in the restaurant, in every single room. So we have to throw and it, they're depending on whether or not there are game watches in there, there'll be TV specific to channels, but a lot of times we have to switch that because if we want a game sound upstairs and that the game before was on TNT, the next game could be on CBS. So we have to switch around all these TVs to make sure everything stays even, and it's it's actually a uh, it's r- pretty much what I do for the March for March Madness. Like it's the only thing I do when I'm at Blake Street is run around and change TVs when needed. Because people get really mad, like when they when that stuff isn't organized and they're sitting down expecting this game to show on show up two can, hours before the game. I can say that I've been one of those people. Yeah, before. no, I mean I totally understand it. You came in to watch the game, you expect to watch it, right? So we try to make it as simple as possible for people coming into the game, into here to watch games, and it's, it, we'll have signs below each TV that says this is what's going to come on here. Um, and if you can't, I mean, you, it's on you to find a seat next to a television of what game you want to watch it's a it's a crazy process and it's a, it's almost a science it's basically the selection committee he just has he just selects tvs and games yeah. to go on them so, yeah and it, it really does take a lot of time it's interesting so make sure that you get down here and appreciate that because it's basically the main reason tyler can't go support the buffs in des moines maybe because he has to plan all this out so if you get down here um for the first two rounds of games you're gonna get you know be for, from 3 to 6 p.m., you're going to get $2 PBRs and, and Rolling Rocks, $3 Wells and Domestics, $4 Crafts and Imports, uh, some $4 whiskeys, $4 Vodkas, $4 Sailor Jerry's, uh, $4 Barefoot Wines, and $5 Select Appetizers during Happy Hour, which there's going to be lots of games going on during Happy Hour. Get down here and take advantage of it. Yeah, and we'll do, we have our Bud Light specials that we do for all our NCAA tournament watches, stuff like that, too. So there's a lot of stuff going on. You guys will have fun. And if you want to throw out on Twitter or Facebook or whatever that you really want me to be able to go to the game, I would appreciate that, too, because I'm going to guilt trip Chris into letting me go. There we go. We'll see you on the other side. Wanna be right, girl.
why go to the Clock Tower Grill? Because of the burgers? Sure. How about the 15 big screen TVs and the 100-inch projection screen? Okay. How about the fact that it's conveniently located at the Lincoln Light Rail Station? Yep. We could do this all day. The bottom line is that the Clock Tower Grill has unique food and drink specials every single day and offers something for everyone all the time. Head down to the Lincoln Light Rail Station and let's have some fun at the Clock Tower Grill. Rain, sleet, or snow, 24 hours a day, residential or commercial, you name it, A-Team does it. A-Team Garage Doors will meet or beat any estimate and offer same-day repairs. A-Team Garage Doors has a five-star rating and is a home advisor elite service provider. Call A-Team Garage Doors at 720-556-8016. That's A-Team Garage Doors, 720-556-8016. Call 8016 for the A-Team. When is the last time you went to the Rock Restaurant and Bar on Smoky Hill Road? With 69-cent wings on Mondays, trivia on Tuesdays, and $2 domestics during happy hour and weekends, the Rock Restaurant and Bar is the only choice when I'm in South Aurora. They're open 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day, making them a great place for a big breakfast, tasty lunch, or a nice dinner. The Rock is off of Smoky Hill Road, just a few blocks west of E-470. Find them online at therockrest.com. That's therockrest.com. $3 beer specials, $4 shot specials, $5 appetizer specials, and two-for-one 10-inch pizzas. All of that happens every Sunday at Ernie's Bar and Pizza. Not only does Ernie's have the best deals, but they were just voted number one New York-style pizza in Denver by the Westward. Why go anywhere else? Make Ernie's Bar and Pizza your home for football on Sundays. Ernie's Bar and Pizza, 44th and Federal in Old North Denver, where the Pisons live. If you're tired of the same old sports bar experience, it's time to check out the Sunset Grill. They have the NFL Sunday Ticket, NHL Center Ice, NBA TV, and yes, even the Pac-12 Network. But they also have a gorgeous view from their spacious deck. They have dry ribs, wings, and mussels to go with their ice-cold beer. They have $4 Bud and Bud Light pitchers on Sundays, and their happy hour is from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. So next time you're looking for a place to watch the game, do it a little different and go to the Sunset Grill off Holly and County Line in Centennial. Sunset Grill. You know, Ryan, Las Vegas didn't go uh, as well for me as I had hoped. The ladies' situation didn't go so well. I'm thinking about playing a musical instrument just because I know how much ladies love musical instruments. And I couldn't think of the exact musical instrument that I wanted to play, but I was thinking one that made the noise. (laughs) Do you know any musical instruments that make that noise? Yo, Shep, first of all, I got to agree, ladies love the instruments. uh, And that's why I got with my guy Jeremy Johnson at Flute Mechanics. Not flute mechanics? Flute. So, so, so flute. I want to play a flute. Well, not only do they have world-class flutes, but they have trumpets. They have trombones. They have guitars. They have pianos. Uh, but really where they're specializing in is flutes. And the flute is one of the most romantic instruments in the world. Flute mechanics is going to get you right with the ladies. Can they bake a flute to perfectly capture the size of my lips and fit perfectly in my lips? Yeah, they're going to take a, a mold of your face <laughs> and turn that into the most perfect flute money can buy. 
Bro, I, I just realized, I think you're talking about boot mechanics. Jeremy Johnson, he's a skier, a professional skier, not an instrumenter. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're right. Got me again. Jeremy Johnson does work at boot mechanics, that place where they can take a mold of your foot and turn that into a perfect footbed, so you're going to be skiing on the clouds. You can visit them at bootmechanics.com or in Golder, just at... Go, not Golder! Golder. <laughs> <laughs> That, that place between Golden and Boulder that you don't really know. <laughs> that place does exist. Uh, or in Golden, Golden, Colorado. Uh, just ask for professional skier Jeremy Johnson and tell them that we sent you over here at BSN Buffs. But now... People are literally going to go there and be like, yo, I will never buy anything from your store because of the stupid live reads on the BSN Buffs podcast. I love BSN Buffs. Hate your store. <laughs> Um, we really do know how to advertise. <laughs> uh, hey, someone tweeted us, was like, hey, look, it's the Clock Tower Grill. I know that from the BSN Buffs podcast. We're doing our job. You're, you're welcome, Chris. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we have an interview with Wes Gordon, the junior big man on the Colorado basketball team. Very good player. Uh, one of the better players on the team, in fact. One of the, quiet, quietly one of the better players in the Pac-12. And uh, he's... Not always the best interview, but if you can get a good interview on it, out of him, you're going to. And we feel like we got some real good stuff out of him today. We sat with him after practice. We talked uh, NCAA tournament. We talked Rodney Billups. We talked uh, a, a few other things about his play and in, in general. Uh, but go ahead and listen to that. That interview will start uh, right after Ryan says whatever he's going to say. Yeah, I was just going to say, it takes, it takes Wes a little bit to warm up. So uh, give him a chance to uh, get into to his interview. But, you know. One, Wes can be a really great interview. And the other thing I'd like to say is he's really become, when he's playing great defense, he's actually my favorite player to watch in the conference. So thanks, Wes, for uh, your time today, and we'll uh, see you on the other side of this interview. All right, we're here at the Coors Event Center with Wesley Gordon, junior forward, getting ready to head to the NCAA tournament once again. Wes, how you doing? Good. How are you all? Good. Uh, it looks like to me like you guys were having – a good time out there today. Was it? Are you just kind of happy to? Be, you're still playing. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in a way better spot than we were last year, so it's a good feeling. What is there a different aura around the team right now heading into the NCAA tournament? Um, you know, with kind of a, an added uh, an added bonus, you know, out there. All right. Um, I mean, we're happy to be in the tournament, but I mean, we can't go outside of ourselves and try to do things and try to be people that we're not so we just got to stick to what we've been doing and pretty much just if we do what we what we're capable of doing then we'll be fine you know Wes you told me yesterday that we're in a lot better place than we are last year right you know kind of looking at that Mickey Mouse tournament last year and kind of where you are now you know does it feel kind of gratifying to get to where you're, you know a higher rated seed in the NCAA tournament you're looking at playing a lower rated seed and you're you know you're in first off, right. you know, is, is that kind of a feeling where you're just like, we're happy we're here? Like, um, uh, I mean, we've been here before, but I mean, I'm definitely thankful that we're not in the CBI or in NIT, but we've been here before. So, I mean, for me, I just want to win one game in the NTA. I've been in the NTA tournament. We have last time it wasn't a pretty sight. So, I mean, for the people that have been there, I think we're just more focused on doing what we're capable of doing rather than being in the tournament. You know, last time you were an eight seed, too. And yeah. 
you've looked at the matchup since last time we talked, and you've seen a little bit of UConn now. What do you feel like you guys need to do this time to make sure last time doesn't happen again? Um, guard the ball and handle pressure. I don't. I think that um, um, outside of Pac-12, I think I think uh, refs really really don't call the ticky tack fouls, and it, and they and other teams really get up in us and speed us up. So I mean, we really got to just handle pressure, and then on the other end, we got to be able to guard people. You and Josh, uh, maybe one of the better front courts in the country. How much confidence <laughs> does that give you? You know, knowing you know you guys have done it against great big men in this right. conference. You you have a chance to you know now do it against some of the great big men in the, in the rest. Of the uh, it, it feels good. I mean, we're we're going up against somebody that hasn't played us ever, so that that feels good. And uh, me and Josh are, are very confident in our in our front court, just because we're we're so comfortable with each other's skill set and how we play together. Josh just said to me, uh, I, I, I'm not even thinking of this as potentially being my last game. When you think, I mean, you guys have said a lot late in the season that you're doing it for the seniors. Is there still that sort of feeling? Yeah, I mean, as hard as Josh worked and all of his accomplishments, I think they would, it wouldn't really matter to him if he got all the, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's and all that if we just were one and done in a tournament. So for, 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 for me, I just want to make sure that he gets the most out of his senior year in the tournament just because I've seen how hard he worked. On a bit of a side note, uh, Rodney gets hired by DU. Yeah. How hyped were you guys as players for him to get that opportunity? I'm, I'm, I'm extreme. I wasn't at the meeting when they told us, but um, I, when I found out, I was extremely happy for him, you know. Just like any player that would be leaving our team to go to the NBA is kind of like that type of thing where I'm just happy that, you know, he's in a better opportunity to, to show his coaching abilities. What can you say about about Rodney as a coach and kind of the way he's connected with you guys as players? Um, Rodney's ability to connect, because he's a younger guy, so his ability to connect with, with players is special, or at least I've seen that. He can motivate you in a way that doesn't feel like he's critiquing you. So, like, where... He gives you confidence in the, your abilities without you getting down on yourself. Where do you think he's helped you improve the most? For me, he's he's always just told me, like, he's, he's seen what I can do. So he's always just told me, like, in games and practice, he's always like, get it going. Like, like start, start hooping, start doing what you can do. Like, just don't hold back. So for me, he's just always been in my ear just spitting confidence at me. You know, you have the Rodney Phillips name now at Denver. And right. You a Colorado kid, you know, I'm a Colorado kid. We understand what the Billups name is. Do you, yeah. What do you think that brings to a program like DU? Um, it it uh it brings a lot. I mean, I think he's falling in the same footsteps as Boyle, you know, going to another school where he's already played at and already been familiar with and, and really going to elevate that program. And I think I think he will just because his ability to to recruit and connect with younger players will will definitely get him some good players in there. I don't need going back to you guys UConn, they've won a national championship recently right. enough where, you know, you remember it. Does that give you kind of in the back of your head, you know, we're not playing some regular old nine seed. We're playing right. a program that has just won a national championship pretty recently. Yeah, we're yeah we're, we're playing a team that's been there before, and they're not going to beat themselves, and they're not going to fall under the big lights. So we got to just really become prepared and, and really just do what we're capable of doing. So because – we, we can pretty much play with anybody if we stay in our capabilities and not turn the ball over. Yesterday, it kind of all happens quickly, and you're on there, and you, a lot's going through your head. Today, you, you get to go get back on the court, kind of get back into your routine. What's going through your mind, you know, right now? Um, 
I don't know. I mean, it just seems like a normal day for me. I mean, I don't really, I don't really try to hype up myself and get in anybody's head about the tournament. I mean, we all felt like after we after May that we were gonna we were gonna make the tournament just because of how hard we worked. So for me, it's not really we're in the tournament. It's more we just got we got another team ahead of us that we got to take care of. It seemed like there was a feeling maybe going on yesterday that the eight seed didn't do you guys justice. Did, do you feel that way? Um, in terms of like comparing us to like another, like Oregon State. Sure. I mean, we feel like we should have we should have got a higher seed than Oregon State, but at the same time, I think I think I like our matchup better than us matching up with VCU, just because they press the whole game and they'll speed us up a lot, and we have a turnover problem. So I mean, for the A seed for us, I think I think it was it was pretty good on our end, really. Looking at your potential matchup uh, in the game against UConn, where did, what did you see? That things that maybe you can exploit and things that you you have to work on. Um, really, just getting it down low, and really, I think our our strong point is in down low, just because we're we're bigger. So I think I think that'll be a really point where we, we can exploit them, and really just hit, making open shots, really, because I think they're gonna they're gonna collapse the paint and guards are gonna be open. So. If we make open shots, we'll be fine. That's Wesley Gordon. Thank you so much for joining us, Wes. You know, Ryan, one of my major takeaways from that interview was what Wes had to say about new DU head coach, Denver Pioneers head coach, uh, big Denver Pioneers fan here, Jake Shapiro, uh, Rodney Billups. I know you're a Colorado College guy, but... uh, I'm rescinding my Colorado College fandom. Yeah, that lasted all of two weeks. Uh, You never even learned a player's name. Uh, How are things going over there in the DU kingdom now that they got Rodney Billups? Things have to be looking very well. I I know they've had a coach that has won a few 20... uh, They've just got rid of a coach that had a few 21 games, but, you know, you bring the Billups legacy over to DU, you know, that has to be pretty positive. And for Tad Boyle, you're spreading the Colorado name and your legacy even further. Yeah, I I love this hire for DU so much. Um, it's a hire where obviously they're using the pipeline of one of the best players in their program's history, um, and they're taking a chance on a young coach who doesn't have, you know, the, the most – crazy amount of experience but Rodney Billups uh connects with players and in what we you heard Wes talk about this but you know just from my experience nobody nobody connects with players like Rodney Billups does um he can he can be that one of the guys feeling uh like Wes said when he criticizes players he's not getting them down um he's just you know he's kind of building them up and in telling them you know you could be so great if you do this um, but the way he connects with players, the way uh, in particular he connected with Thomas Akizili this this summer, I thought was really special. You've got those two going at it, ha- playing one-on-one every day after practice, laughing, having fun. Um, but all the while, you know, Rodney's helping Thomas get better throughout this. You know, he's coaching him while playing one-on-one with him. And, and that's what one of the things you can get out of a young coach. Uh, Rodney is going to recruit to that place like nobody has ever seen. I mean, I, I really think he's going to have – um, when, it ter- when it comes to Colorado players, he's going to have whoever he wants um, from the high academic areas of Colorado, wherever that may be. I love this idea. I- I'm so excited for Rodney, uh, and and I have 100% rescinded my my Colorado College fandom because I'm going to be rooting so hard for Rodney Billups to go over there uh, and have tons of success. You'd have to think even uh, there's going to be some battles with Colorado over recruits just because Rodney uh, is a really good recruiter, 
And uh, I know Colorado doesn't necessarily recruit in the same caliber as DU. They're a little bit, uh, one's a little bit more academic, one's a little bit more uh, sportsy. But, you know, there's probably going to be a little bit of overlap there, and it'll be really interesting to see how that kind of plays out uh, just because, and, and I'm not saying Rodney Billups is Chauncey Billups' brother because Rodney has his own entity, but Rodney has that ability with the Chauncey Billups basketball camp. I think that's what it's called. or the, Academy. The, yeah, the Chauncey Billups basketball academy. He has uh, roots in that academy, and I think it's going to help him immensely in his recruiting uh, as well as, you know, this is also not mentioned much with DU, but they have a great facility. And they also are downtown Denver. They have a great location in Denver. You know, this is a really good situation to join. Uh, I know Denver's in the whack, or I, I'm not even actually sure if they're in the whack, or the Sun Belt, uh, whatever they're in. Um, you know, it's a winnable conference. And, you know, Rodney, like we said, isn't the most experienced coach, but he has the makings of what could be a very good coach. And it's really cool to see DU take a chance on a guy that could end up being uh, you know, a true pioneer, so to speak. <laughs> you know, oh my God. <laughs> sorry, I had to make the pun. I thought of it, I had to make it. But, you know, he's one of the best players in their athletic history as a basketball player, and, you know, he's going to be their coach, and hopefully for him, hopefully for DU, it works out, and he's one of the best coaches in their history. I'm really rooting for it, too. Yeah, um, I have so much confidence in him. And, and it, basketball coaches don't always have to be, you know, X's and O's types and that sort of thing. And, and head coaches anywhere, a head coach – is more of a representative to me than anything. And it's why I always say that I think John Embry could have been a good head coach because I thought he was, you know, very personable, great. You know, he can go into to, uh, uh, living rooms and connect with parents um, and, you know, be, be there for the players. And that's a little bit different for football because obviously there's, there's so much you're relying on your coordinators there. But I really think, you know, Rodney's going to develop his own style. I'm sure it's going to be um, a lot based on what he's, he's learned from Tad Boyle in the last six years. But I just, I think Rodney is just such a great face of their program. Um, you know, he, from from the literal his face, he's a good-looking guy. He suits up well. Uh, it's something that matters. You know that you're 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 putting this guy out there in in, in parents' homes and in recruiting. And when people when he walks into a house, people are gonna be like, oh, okay, this guy's legit. You know, and so. I'm so happy for Rodney. I, I really think it's going to be a great opportunity from them. From the start, I said this on Twitter today, they're going to get a boost in attendance uh, because <laughs> Joe, Scott, Joe Scott, who was successful there, goodness gracious, the style of basketball they played was like nails on a chalkboard. Uh, it's really ugly. I talked to someone who covers DU who said, quote, I, I don't cover the basketball team because I can't stand to watch that type of basketball. So it's uh, it's really cool for, for them, and, and I think – uh, I kind of speak for all of Colorado when I say now I'm interested in DU hoops. I'm gonna be I'm gonna watch their game. First when it time comes in on. your life you've probably been interested in DU hoops, right? A right. 25 year old, yeah. Exactly. So I, I've never cared at all about DU hoops. Uh, if there's a chance, I will be watching DU basketball next year, and especially in the years to come because you mentioned t recruiting a player that Colorado's gonna recruit. It's gonna happen. It, it will because I, I know Rodney's not gonna back down. Uh, when it comes to recruiting the good players in Colorado, he's going to shoot his shot, and I think that he has a chance to connect with players in such a way that he might he might surprise people and pull a top recruit in Colorado one year. And honestly, I hope he does because it means that he's having success. And you know, uh, his relationship with Tad is really interesting. Uh, I always find it interesting how other coach uh, how a head coach's relationships are with other head coaches. 
Tad talks so fondly of guys he has great relationships with uh, over at UNC, over at Fort Lewis. Now he's got another guy at Denver. It's almost to the point where, you know, and he did say this today, where he's going to go completely out of his way to help Rodney wherever he can possibly help Rodney. And it's like, you guys are kind of competitors in a way. Right. I, I mean, it, it is going to be interesting. I, I think uh, I thought it was interesting, Tad, saying that he's leaving it up to Rodney. If Rodney wants to play in Boulder, Rodney saying he's leaving it up to Tad. Um, Someone, something's got to give there. I think it'd be a really cool thing to see. Pepsi Center, maybe you know, maybe they get that back together. Um, but I really think Tad is to- truly earnest when he's saying that. And uh, you know, say they're they're recruiting a player and they decide, and you know, Tad decides, hey, this guy isn't quite ready for the Pac-12. He's probably going to tell that guy, hey, you should really consider going to play for Rodney at DU because I think that's a great opportunity for you. I know this is a little bit more DU than CU at this point, but this also has CU ties. He's bringing in Ricardo Patton to be one of his assistant coaches, and I saw I when I saw that I was like, wow, that that really is caught in my interest. Right, um, it show, it kind of shows uh, Rodney's all around tie in to basketball in Colorado, and some of that probably has to do with Chauncey, um, but. Man, that, I think that's really. I think it's really cool. Uh, it gives me even more interest in what's going on up there. And I know people. Um, Ricardo Patton was much maligned and rightfully so as the head coach at Colorado. But uh, to have a head coach on your staff as a young head coach yourself, I think that is invaluable because there are going to be situations that come up that Rodney thinks man, what sh- what's the right thing to do here? And to have Ricardo Patton right there and to have Tad Boyle always one phone call away, um, his support system is really strong. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be a, a, a move that has good and bad reactions to it. I really like it, and I think it's a good start to what Rodney's going to try and build over there. And in the long run, what you always want from your sport is it to keep building. And you know what? You, if you're Colorado – you might end up losing a recruit to DU in the future. It Maybe. probably will happen. I, I don't know. But you know what? If it can grow the sport of basketball in Denver, that's good for basketball as a whole. And you know what? I think it probably will because DU hoops is, if not if they're not zero, they're pretty close to it right now, and they have the potential to be pretty solid. Right. I mean, uh, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them win a conference title under Rodney Billups. And another thing is what good coach have you ever seen – uh, that doesn't have a coaching tree. It, this is the first branch of the Tad Boyle coaching tree, and it, all it can only be a good thing if that branch is successful, and we can only hope that you know Coach Roan and Coach Prelo get jobs of their own sometime down the road. Uh, and, again, you know, more success for them. It looks better on Tad Boyle. It eventually comes back to look better on Colorado basketball. Speaking of looking good on Colorado basketball, what's perhaps looked the best on Colorado basketball in the last few years is Tad Boyle going out and beating his uh, his school in Kansas in Boulder. And potentially, Tad Boyle will be matched up with Bill Self in the second round. I know you took that picture of Tad watching Bill Self on Selection Sunday, and I was just so intrigued with what was going to happen because, you know, people were kind of talking in the room when that happened. Tad was just deadlocked on the TV, interested to see what Bill Self had to say. Obviously, they've had their meetings before, and a meeting between Kansas, the number one overall seed in the tournament against Colorado, uh, would not be in Colorado's favor, but it would be a really interesting matchup. But first, got to get past UConn and get past their woes of perhaps being a one-and-done tournament team. 
Yeah, I just uh, I, I can't help but smile thinking about the potential second round matchup of Colorado and Kansas, uh, just because it's just it's like a, it's a it's a sports writer's dream, you know. Of course, Tad Boyle, you know, going up with a chance to go to his first six, Sweet Sixteen, going up against his old coach, going up against the fans that just cheered for him to win in the in the game before, uh, or going up against his old, old school. Sorry, not his old coach. Um, it's just it, it would just be awesome in. Tyler was talking about earlier, he just, could you imagine if we won that game? And, man, I mean, it, it would be, obviously, you know, we're looking too, way too far ahead here, but it, that, that win would obviously be the biggest in the, in the history of the program. Um, so the, the opportunity even to be in front of them there would be amazing. I, I think, you know, just the matchup itself would, would be so cool, and I can guarantee you the selection committee was thinking of this when they put that down. Yeah, me uh, – I, I am just so excited to see if that is a matchup that happens. But, you know, even looking at UConn and Tyler Perry Ellis and Josh Scott. I just, oh, my God. That's a dream. It's like 90, year, 90 years of experience in one gym. The crazy part about that Kansas-Colorado matchup is just, uh, you know, you got, like you said, so many storylines. The former Big 8 stuff. You have all the Tad Boyle stuff. You even have the Kansas thing from two years ago. Right, That's the last can. time Kansas played Colorado. Yep. You have so many storylines there. It's just it's so interesting, that matchup. But first, you have the UConn matchup, which in itself is very interesting. I talked to Wes Gordon in that interview today, and this is a question that I had, and I didn't think many people had thought of this, is – UConn's won a national championship recently. You know, how many teams do you go up at, against as a college kid where you're like, oh, dang, this team won a national championship that I remember? And, you know, everyone my age, uh, I'm a college kid, remembers UConn winning a national championship. So I, I just I think that UConn, uh, it's not going to be like, oh, it's some nine seed we can go out and beat, whether that be Pitt or whatever. Not that they would think that, but it's like, oh, dang, we're going and playing a legitimate program that has just won a national championship. Like I said, right when those two teams came up on the board, it was Kansas, it was UConn, it was Colorado. You could tell there was this, oh, yeah, this is the tournament. You play the big boys. Uh, and it's the fact of it. Um, and, I, I, and Tyler and I talked about this a little bit. The name is getting the best of people a little bit. I think it's killing some of the confidence in the Colorado fans that they're going up against a team that just won a national championship not too long ago. But I just think it's really cool, and, and I think this is what the NCAA tournament is all about, you know, uh, going out there and playing the schools that live across the country uh, and trying to put West Coast basketball on the map. Because it's, no matter how long how, – it doesn't matter how many wins, you know, UCLA has or whatever – the West Coast is always going to be considered inferior to the East Coast in college basketball. Right, and speaking of West Coast basketball, right below uh, Colorado in the bracket is Maryland, uh, South Dakota State, and then Cal, Hawaii. So potentially in the second round, you're having Colorado, Kansas, Maryland, Cal, all right there together, and then, uh, you know, the winners of those games. So you're putting, you know, not only is Colorado putting on the map for that half of the bracket, that half of the half of the bracket, but you have Cal putting on for that little section of the bracket, too, from West Coast basketball. And, you know, I think it is so important that the Pac-12, as, as a whole, goes out and wins these games because the Pac-12 has been hyped up this year more than it's ever been hyped up. And for it to fall... On our, on our side of the country, right. it has. Not on the other, though. Well, they got seven teams in. And right, and, and that is a huge tip of the cap to what those teams did this year. And we talked about it about halfway through the season. Are they going to say the Pac-12 is being closely played because those teams are bad? Or are they going to say the Pac-12 is being closely t played between these teams were good? And I'm glad to see they decided it was because these teams are good 
because I really believe the Pac-12 is one of the strongest conferences in basketball this year, uh, and I'm really, really excited to watch these games. I think uh, I'll probably end up picking all the Pac-12 teams to advance in their first-round matchups. Yeah, and my point just being you better not ruin it. You know, you better you better come out and prove it that you are where you should be. I think the only team that I didn't pick to win in my initial bracket was I think I had VCU over Oregon State just because I really like VCU zone and I think that'll upset a little bit of Oregon State. Uh, you know, they're primarily a one-guard team in Gary Payton. But going back to one, the thing I mentioned, one and done, Tad Boyle's talked about not wanting to be a one and done team. And, you know, if they lose the first game this year, it starts turning into, well, Colorado's just a team that's going to lose in the first year, uh, first round ever, anywhere, uh, every year. And, you know, it's not there yet, but it's getting close to it. And I think this, uh, if they do lose to UConn, it'll kind of put the nail in the coffin of them being the one-and-done team. Right. Um, you, it's time. You know, it's time to put another win on the resume. Because, yeah, making t- four tournaments in five years is great. Um, but if every one of those tournaments is, is, has left a sour taste – in Colorado fans' mouths, then what What good did it do? Of course, yeah, you got to that stage. Um, but it doesn't do much on the recruiting trail to say we made it to the tournament, especially when seven other Pac-12 teams are saying, six other Pac-12 teams are saying the same thing. So you have to have something to show them, some success. Um, even if it's a win over UConn, you know, that says something. And especially, it doesn't matter that they were a nine seed once this is over. Because all these kids know is UConn is legit. You t- and you show them, hey, we beat UConn in the tournament last year. Uh, and then maybe, you you know, you lost to Kansas. We barely fell to they one beat a team. You know, they would beat a team where everyone in the country knows their, the name of their head coach. Right. You know, exactly. th- it's not like they're beating Pitt. I mean, I, I know Pitt's coach too, but not everyone does. Everyone knows who Kevin Ollie is. Right. And, you know, I think that's such a big thing, especially for recruiting, is, you know, look, Tad Boyle, you know, it doesn't say Tad Boyle is superior to Kevin Ollie, but it's like, hey, we just beat that team. Right. It's it's really, really important to start uh, putting these wins together. you got to, like, bust some people's brackets. I'm sure some people are high on UConn, you know, thinking that UConn could beat Kansas. Like, piss some people off. Be, you know, a lot. the average fan is picking UConn to win this game because they know the name. They put, a lot of people are putting UConn in the Sweet 16 because Kansas has been disappointing in the tournament, too. Right. So you're going to bust a lot of brackets if so that just, happens. So piss some people off so the next time your name comes up, people are like, oh, yeah, Colorado, man. I'm those, not doing that again. Yeah, those bastards yeah. messed up my bracket last year. And, and then people start to know about Colorado. Um, every little thing like that matters. It's all perception. And I really think uh, that it's important for them to get this win. And if they don't get the win, it really, really has to be a close game because you can't uh, just keep getting blown out in the tournament. All right. I- I don't like doing predictions, but, you know, it is March, and, you know, we're doing all these predictions on the bracket anyways. Do you want to hold off on your prediction and we'll do it on Twitter later, or do you want to do it now? We can do it now. Okay. Um, I'll start with mine because it's right in front of me right now. Um, My initial prediction for the Colorado game is that they do beat UConn, and uh, I do have them losing in the second round to the Jayhawks, but I do think that'll be a closer game than a lot of people expect. Uh, I know Frank Mason's a heck of a player. And I watch a lot of Kansas basketball. People that know me know I watch a lot of Kansas basketball uh, just because of where I live in uh, the household I live, I should say. But, you know, I, I think Colorado's guard play is up to the task. They've been up to the task uh, a few times this season. 
and uh, you know they've been largely disappointing on defense, but I think they, they've come out and shown that they can be a solid defensive team at the guard slot at times, and I think if you have Aki Zili or Collier having a, one of those good defensive games, they can really quiet Frank Mason. I don't know if they could win, but uh, like you said, they can beat any team in the country, and I do agree with you on that. So I do have Colorado going to the second round and losing to Kansas. What, uh, what's the score? Uh, of which game? Of the, the game that is guaranteed to happen. Oh, you know what? I always like, you know, those, you know, my theory on big gyms with the big ceilings. And <laughs> yeah. I always think the scoring percentage goes down. So I'm going to put Colorado as a winner at 67 to 62. Okay. Um, as everyone knows on these podcasts, I, I only go with my gut. And uh, unfortunately, I, I, I just, I, my gut feeling just says the Buffs are, are going to lose in this one. Um, I, I think. You know they have a great they have a great opportunity to win. I I think that UConn's defense is very very stifling. Uh, if there's anything I've I've seen from them in the little bit that I've watched and in the research that I've tried to do in the short amount of time here, it's that UConn plays really good defense and I think they play good enough defense to get the Buffs out of what they like to do so easily. Some when the Buffs are doing well, they're making it look easy. Um, and it's, you know, Josh Scott making quick, easy passes out of the post. They're making an extra pass as a knockdown three-point. I just don't think that's going to be quite as easy against this UConn team. And I think eventually that's going to hurt them. I think it's going to be extremely low-scoring game. Uh, I think the Buffs make some big shots. I see George King making some big shots to keep them in it to kind of um, get them out of their frustrations. But I think the Buffs end up losing this one 58-54. to 54. Okay. Uh, and one more prediction. I don't know if you're ready to make it. And if you're not, it's fine. I'll just make mine. Do you have a national championship, uh, national champion yet? I do not. I wait until the very last second to fill out my brackets. Okay. And I don't tell anyone about any of my picks. Right. You getting this one is one too many. And I, and I normally don't. And I'm not even set on my bracket. I just looked at it really quick and filled it out so we could get the BSN Buffs bracket set up. But my initial reactions, and this was my initial reaction after the Pac-12 tournament was, I said, I'm like, I don't know if this Oregon team's going to lose again this year. And I and my initial reaction is that Oregon's going to win the national championship. That could change between now and Thursday just because I I really haven't looked at the brackets. I've just, you know, I just kind of thought about, you know, which teams in the country have really impressed me. Oregon looks really impressive right now, and it's going to be hard for me to change my mind against Oregon uh, and, and say that they'll lose a game anytime in the near future. Um, I think I think Oregon's a really good team. Um I said this going into the Pac-12 tournament when I was talking about potential Buffs matchups, and I just said no one scares me, and that goes as far as Oregon. And the reason Oregon doesn't scare me is because I always feel like they're one off shooting night away from a loss. Uh, and obviously, they haven't had an off; they didn't have an off shooting night in Vegas. They haven't had one in quite some time. They're playing really great basketball, but uh, the tournament is just so different. And I just feel like one of those games. They're going to just not have it. You know, there's going to be – there has to be a night where, you know, uh, Chris Boucher isn't hitting corner threes and, and Dylan Brooks doesn't have it quite going. And, and you know, um, who's the – Dorsey I'm, or Rooks. I'm blanking on the white point guard. Benson. Casey yeah, Benson. Casey, Casey Benson isn't knocking down his threes. It seems like they're all going in for them right now, and I just feel like there has to be one night where they're not getting everyone going at once. Yeah, they didn't miss a shot against Arizona or against Utah. Yeah, I mean, uh, but they're great. They're great, and I love 
I love watching college basketball like that because that doesn't work in the NBA. And so that's what makes college basketball fun to me to watch. But I just I just have a feeling that one night they're going to not have it. Speaking of good jerseys, and this will be my last thing, uh, uh, or a lot of jerseys, we're both jersey guys. Colorado right now is 5-5 five and five in postseason play since they switched to their new jerseys. Uh, you know, including the CBI, including the Pac-12 tournament, they have not won a tournament game in these new jerseys. So uh, Wait, you said five and five. Five and five. And, and then you just said they haven't won one. In a tournament game, a Pac, uh, an oh, NCAA, an NCAA tournament. Right, they okay. haven't won an NCAA AA tournament game. I said NCAA and then AA. NCAA AA. <laughs> tournament game uh, in these new jerseys. So uh, take that for whatever you want. For Ryan Koningsberg, I am Jake Shapiro. Such a weird way to end the podcast. I'm leaving them thinking, hmm, hmm, that's going to be, they're going to be thinking about it all day. Uh, For Ryan Koningsberg, I'm Jake Shapiro. Thanks for listening to the BSN Buffs podcast, the longest BSN Buffs podcast ever. Uh, They get longer every week. Uh, I'm sure you all are happy about that. Uh, (laughs) We're definitely not. And uh, Don't tweet at us telling us you listened to the whole thing. Yeah, that'll encourage us too much. And uh, please shoot us a like on Facebook. It wouldn't end the BSN Buffs podcast without me begging you to shoot us a like on Facebook. And do... <laughs> I don't do, think we did 200 yet. <laughs> no, we haven't. We've been doing it for like eight weeks. Uh, and do join the BSN Buffs Tournament Challenge. Uh, it's up to Ryan if we're giving out a prize, but you will have the uh, braggadocious ability of saying you were better than me or Ryan, which you inevitably probably will be. Uh, so... I'll- We'll, we'll give someone a Blake Street Tavern t-shirt. Okay. Uh, winner gets a Blake Street Tavern t-shirt. They're cool. Yeah, they Tad are Boyle's cool. daughter was wearing one yesterday. You wouldn't let me tweet it out. It says, who's your taddy on it? And it was Tad Boyle's daughter, who's literally, that's her daddy. I wasn't 100% sure at the time that it was his daughter. So I had to confirm that oh. later with sources. Well, I knew that. I went to high school with her. You said that girl over there. Well, I saw the glasses. (laughs) I didn't see her. We were coming off of no days of sleep for like three days. Anyways, you can have one of those exclusively seen in the Boyle household. All right. For Ryan Koningsberg, I'm Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. Tune in again uh, if Ryan comes back alive after his second straight weekend of a road trip. See you next week. Thanks. Tower Grill. Don't know where it is. Don't give a fuck. Come to Blake Street Tavern. <laughs>